You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast with me, Rob Brown, and I'm thrilled to have with me today a perennial guest on our show from Hinge Market, and it's Lee Fredrickson. Good day, Lee. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Lee, always great to have you on the show. And when you come on, you talk about some really interesting things. And the key thing about the stuff you talk about is that it's real because you research it. Give us a little bit of the heritage of Hinge Marketing and how your research-based insights really cut through all the noise out there. Yeah, well, you know, I was a client of Hinge way back in the beginning. And one of the things that I always wanted was a really research-based approach because I'm a researcher by training. I'm a behavioral scientist by training. So uh, research is always important as a way of getting the right answers. And so we started out, let's say, let's research, let's figure out what really works and follow that. No preconceived notions about what's right and what's wrong. And I always used to do it this way, or my grandpa did it this way. You know, this is this is what works today. And that's our focus. And that's the point today, Lee, isn't it? Because everyone's got an opinion. Everyone thinks they know what is happening. But in the uncertain world that we live in, we emerge from the pandemic right now. We're trying to recalibrate what professional services firms do well and what best practice looks like. It's hard to put a finger on best practice without the research. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and there's so much variability too, Rob, between sub-markets. You know, one sub-segment, one industry can be doing going gangbusters, you know, and the next one is just in the doldrums. And I think that's what we're seeing and understanding where your clients are, where your industries are, and where there's going is really, that's the secret to taking some of this uncertainty out of it, removing uh, some of the risk from the equation. And your research looks at professional services in the whole, like consulting and architecture, engineering, technology, legal, government contracting. You've got the sub-niche, if you like, of accounting and finance. I would imagine it's pretty similar across professional services generally, isn't it, what you found? Well, yes and no. I, I think the trends, uh, you know, talent issues, for example, the onslaught of technology and uncertainty, those those are consistent. But within the industries, there's very different profiles of how firms have responded to it. For example, uh, this year's study, we found that growth is really slowed. And uh, the accounting is falling behind in terms of digital leads when compared to other kinds of professional services, which is, uh, you know, something of a head scratcher in the sense that accounting should have a, a, a plethora of digital leads because they are so strong in so many niches, they should be well suited to generate business from digital sources, but they lag all other professional services in terms of their ability to do that. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really hurting them. And generating leads from digital sources, your report says this very clearly, uh, it's a clear advantage because it reflects how potential clients are looking to solve their business problems digitally and online. And if accounting professionals are not on there and not being found in that way, they're going to lose out somehow. That's exactly correct. And the, uh, you know, a matter of fact, the relationship is the more digital leads you have, the faster you grow and the more profitable you are. More faster organic growth, greater profit. So, it, you know, it's hard to argue that, gee, it's better to not have them 
you know, or another way of doing it. And, and that, of course, doesn't mean it's all digital. Uh, it's, uh, it is multi-channel, as it always has been. It's just that the digital has grown in terms of its significance, in terms of the overall lead flow, and where your clients are looking, as you so rightly pointed out. That's where it all starts. Well, let's challenge the basic assumption here that growth is good. You focus on the high growth firms here and you illuminate what they are doing that the other firms are not doing. What about listeners that say, well, hey, we don't want to grow our firm. We just want to consolidate our position in the marketplace or hold our market share, or we actually want to become smaller and more focused. Is that valid too? Uh, of course it is. I mean, that's that's one of the beauties of the free enterprise system is that you get to choose which goals you want to pursue. I mean, uh, fortunately, uh, it, it's just that uh, in, in keeping it, there, there's a certain... Uh, I would say health that is inherent in being in synchrony with your clients and getting lined up to where they are. And in fact, the high growth firms are not only just growing faster organically, they're also more profitable and their employees uh, appreciate their culture more. So, you know, you have multiple kind of advantages and, and what it really is, it's not just growth per se. I think it's they're in tune with their marketplace and because they're in tune with their marketplace and because they're adding value, they're growing. So growth is really the result of being in sync with your clients and your marketplace rather than something that's independent of that. So it's not be in sync or grow. <laughs> Yeah, that makes so much sense. And your report declares that high growth firms are on average two and a half times more profitable than no growth firms. And, and one of the advantages that offers a firm is the ability to choose the work that they want, the clients that they want, the projects that they want on their terms at their fees. That's got to be worth something. It, it is just in, just in terms not only the peace in mind, but you think about the specialist advantage, which, which we talk about a bit. And that is when you have that specialist, people expect that you know more. And when you're doing it regularly, day in, day out, you in fact do know more, you gain more experience, you gain more expertise in it. And that really the uh, the online world these days has allowed people to find the specific expertise they're looking at. And the pandemic, I think, is, has taught us all that you don't need to be in the same uh, geographic location with a client to be effective and to really deliver value for them. So I think those two things have together have really globalized professional services in a way that they have never been globalized before. Well, let's take a look at the, some of the key trends here. And it's impossible not to start with technology and you talk a little bit in your report, well, a lot in your report about uh, the firms that are growing fast have already gone through a digital transformation. So they have some maturity in their digital journey, don't they? That, that's right, Rob. Yeah. And in fact, the, uh, about 12% of them have completed something that they label as a digital transformation. And about another 30% are in process. So you think of that, about four in 10 high growth firms are deep in a digital transformation of one sort or another. So that really says that there is a lot of activity there. Uh, and they're using more technology. We look at the different applications, the different areas. They're using it for broader uses. 
Uh, so not, they're not only more sophisticated, they're using more technologies in, for more applications. And that, of course, that maturity and that ability to automate and get the kind of technology advantages, I think, is one of the keys to helping to solve the talent issue. Uh, ironically enough, is it makes your people more efficient, the people that you do have, uh, and allows you to attract the kind of people who are technology savvy and interested in that kind of environment. We'll dip into talent in just a moment, but the other advantage of the technology, it allows you to market better, better business and client acquisition. Talk to us a little bit about that, Lee. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, one of the things it does is it allows for better tracking. So when you look at how they're tracking and what they're tracking, the firms using more technology are able to track more variables, track return on investment, uh, be able to optimize their marketing. You know, uh, historically, we've always said that marketing isn't very measurable in professional services. That's kind of been the accepted wisdom. Well, that's beginning to change. And you uh, you can get a very good uh, impact on, obviously, your digital leads are very trackable. Um, but beyond that, using a, a good modern marketing automation and uh a CRM platform, you're able to really track a lot of your efforts and find out what's working and what's not. Uh, and that, I think, over the long run, really provides a great advantage to firms. And the buyer journey has changed, Lee. Marketing is, is very much in your blood. And when we look at how we would source a trusted advisor back in the day, we'd talk to people that we knew, referrals were high on the agenda. But these days, People don't go to their friends and family to source an expert. Where do they go? Online and into the digital world and, and into Google, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And uh, the same place they go for all their other needs. You know, where, how do I spell this word? Uh, where do I get a good taco? You know, the whatever it is that you're looking for, we, we've been taught as consumers that you can find it online. And of course, that sort of conditions us to say, well, okay, let me find the answer to this business question. And we've seen uh, searching online as a way to get answers to your business. So when we started tracking this, Rob, it was the very bottom. It was the least likely thing to happen. And it's just walked its way up there until it's number one or num uh, tied for number one or number one on just about every subset of the industries. Ali, I want to deep dive into talent. You say that employees at high growth firms are more satisfied with their corporate cultures, and you highlight in your report three key drivers, three areas that help address talent challenges with high growth firms. The first one is that high growth firms attract talent with higher skill levels. Tell us about the importance of that. Yeah, that, that's important. And that's something that we have found uh, in the past that that high growth firms have higher skill levels in their people. Uh, we think that one of the things that's going on is there, there's a certain dynamic to people who are successful and ambitious want to be at firms that have opportunities and growth and are on the leading edge of technology. If you're someone who has that kind of inclination towards technology, do you want to go to a firm uh, that's on the front edge of that, or do you want to go somewhere where they're troglodytes, you know? 
you know, you're going to make the choice as an individual what kind of a firm you want to be associated with. And I think the high growth firms tend to have better recruiting stories. And I talk to a lot of firms about employer brand. And if you look at the the talent pipeline, as it were, they want to attract the best young graduates, young people with good skills. But also we have these lateral hires or strategic hires, the senior hires. And as we recalibrate our lifestyles and our work-life balance, there is a fair amount of movement between professional firms with senior people, partners saying, well, hey, I, I don't like the firm that I'm in right now. There's something up with the culture. I want to make a change. I want to go to a firm where I can restart my journey and I still have something to offer. And they will go to the firms that are most attractive to them. Exactly. And they'll. Uh, and usually what it is when you look at what moves people from one firm to another, it's rarely compensation alone. It's more often than not, it's culture. Uh, and it's either written small in relationship with supervisor and co-workers or written larger in terms of the culture of the firm as a whole. And that's a point you make in your report that high growth firms have more appealing corporate cultures. And, and there's a lot wrapped up in that. But getting culture right, it's never been more important. I think that's a, a, a very true statement, Rob, because it's uh, we see now the competition for talent for attracting and retaining it and how important that the culture is because, and when you think of it, when you're adding remote work into the equation, the culture is even weaker. So it's more important that you are intentional about what type of culture you want and you do things specifically to reinforce it rather than just let it happen accidentally. And you're glancing off the a key point there, Lee, which is how do you drive culture in a hybrid or remote working environment? You've not got people wandering the corridors. You can't bring them in for a coffee and a meeting where everyone's there in one place. We're scattered all over the place. And how do you imbue the culture of a firm when people are not in one office? Well, let me start with the, the number one thing that is uh, that people in high growth firms value about the culture that they would like to see. And that is the really the reinforcing core values of the, the culture. So, for example, if you have a, a client situation and you made a decision that is consistent with your core values, but let's say, you know, you decided to resign a client because of ethical considerations or something, reinforcing that in the culture, whether there uh, it, what is a way to communicate that. Uh, you have to not only have a way to communicate that, that's one part of it in the remote culture, but then you have to reinforce those messages that strengthen the culture. So a lot of firms are going to things like all hands meetings where everyone's getting together or they're getting together in groups to you know, exchange information on a periodic basis to try and uh, recreate some of that uh, you know, communication that happens in the firms only to make it structured. And we've seen accounting and finance particularly leech talent as public accountants, for instance, go into uh, business, they go into industry, they go into commerce, they go into fintech, and the accounting profession is losing them, which makes uh, a strategy like outsourcing much more important to fill those critical skill gaps. And that's what you found with the high growth firms, haven't you? Yes, indeed. Uh, they're, uh, that's what they're doing to fill the key skill gaps. And it's not just to fill the skill gaps in the technical areas, such as tax or 
uh, audit, something like that, is to fill the skill areas and things like uh, uh, marketing and business development uh, and some of the uh, kind of the back office work that has to be done. So uh, I think it's just the general, how do you address this problem long-term and by making your leveraging the talent you do have with technology, uh, outsourcing the things you can't. Uh, and I think that looks like the formula that seems to be working in general for most firms. You mentioned marketing and business development there. It seems we, we've covered talent, we've covered technology. Let's dive into marketing and business development. Uh, but that cuts across everything, doesn't it? We know that high growth firms have high growth marketing teams that are more engaged across a range of marketing activities. Tell us about some of your key findings in this area, Lee. Yeah, I, I think that this is really one of the most fascinating things we found, Rob, is that we've, we've thought for some time that marketing has been underutilized in the accounting profession. Uh, in more traditional things like packing good, package goods, you would never ever consider launching a product unless you've done research on it and the marketing was involved in pricing decisions, features, what are you going to do? Yet, uh, traditionally, uh, oftentimes the marketing people don't even know what services are being offered, uh, which is completely, and what we see in the high growth firms is marketing is involved in much more of those activities. They're involved in things like building the company culture, uh, developing products, pricing products, developing overall strategy for the firm. Uh, so using the traditional strengths of that marketing brings to the business environment and applying those in the professional services context, that's really where there's a great, great opportunity. You've got to have the talent there. You can't take someone who, you know, uh, started out as an administrative assistant with no marketing training and, you know, uh, that person may not have the skill set or the background to be able to take over all of these functions. So you have to uh, get the right talent there. But I do think it's fascinating how they're more oriented towards marketing. And do you get a sense, Lee, that the marketing function is getting more elevated and perhaps deserving of partner status or even equity in some professional firms? Uh, the answer is yes to both. I think getting more elevated, and I think it is getting in a position, and of course, uh, really depends a lot on the philosophy of the firms. But we're seeing some young firms that are taken are being taken over by a new leadership that values marketing and engages with marketing in a way that they just haven't in the past. And marketing, traditionally, you and I re remember long enough back where you would go to marketing to ask for a brochure. Or can I have some money to sponsor this event? Or can we put on this networking mixer in this event? It's a whole lot more sophisticated, particularly in the digital and the social space. Unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, it, it, it really is that uh, there's a lot, there's a need to use more techniques because you have to cover both traditional and digital. But I think, you know, one of the things that's most telling is you look at what are the top things, the most effective things for high growth firms? And what are the things that no growth firms are concentrating on? And you see what the no growth firms are uh, concentrating on sounds very much like you just described, Rob. Uh, business development, networking, uh, you know, materials to hand out, brochures to hand out, uh, and emails. 
emails, brochures, networking. That's the big three for no growth. And that's zip growth, nothing. When you go to the high growth, you get blog posts that uh, search engine optimization and assessments and consultations offering it. Let's talk to you about your issue, your challenge. And, you know, if you think about it, if you have a really focused and you have good understanding of that industry, there's nothing like a conference. You, you talk to people who do this kind of thing and they say, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time they become clients once we talk to them and when we share our insight into their industry. And that's what Hinge do as a firm is share insights and thought leadership, if you like. That's the vanguard of your offering. And you're basically saying here, Lee, that the professional firms that do likewise and showcase their expertise, they're the ones that they got eyeballs on their messages. Precisely. That's exactly what happens. You know, it, it's no accident that Hinge is doing marketing this way. Uh, we didn't start out marketing that way. We followed the data and that says that's what works. And so that's what we're doing. And that's what we offer to our clients. And, you know, there's a certain logic to that that it's hard to argue with. I love this phrase you use in your report that high growth firms shine in search and social. Lovely alliteration there, but social, goodness me, it's changed the way we run our lives. It's changed the way we do business. It's changed the way we build relationships. And professional firms are no different in getting to grips with that. If they want to do well, they've got to be on social. They've got to shine. The, uh, the interesting thing, though, is the role of social isn't uh, best used in the way a lot of people view social. I think a lot of people view social as, let me go on there, tell people what I do and find leads. You know, just going on there and, you know, I get dozens of this kind of spam every day about this is what I do and we're trying to get leads. That doesn't work very well. You generate very few leads that way. However, if you use social as a way of building a relationship, of uh, making your thought leadership visible to the world, of assessing... Uh, assisting in your SEO by the brand mentions and so forth that happens. If you use it as it is, I guess, intended in some ways to be social, to have your networking there and your interactions and your information sharing, then it works very effectively. It's a very helpful component of that. And of course, the shop window for professional firms is often their website. How often, though, do we see 99% of, say, accounting firm websites look exactly the same with similar branding, similar fonts, similar coloring, similar values and promises, similar offerings, and it's so difficult to put a, a thin piece of paper between them? It, it really is. And uh, it's no, uh, you know, it's no... Uh, accident that one of the biggest marketing challenges firms recognize is brand differentiation. How do I make myself different? This is especially true, Rob. We're, we're getting a, a, a real uh, muddling of brands with all the M&A activity that's going on, all the mergers and acquisition. These brands are getting put together, uh, sometimes with only minimal consideration. And uh, sometimes the impact of that is just a degrading of an otherwise great brand. People underestimate what it takes to meld two brands together, particularly in a hybrid environment where you've had different offices, different leaders, different values. But we've certainly seen the M&A space in accounting. 
there's billion dollar mergers taking place with top 10 US accounting firms now. So nobody's too big to merge. Who knows what will happen with the big four in coming years? But you put together those brands, even the employer brand, what makes us a great place to work and how do we define our employer brand? That's all part of this mix. It, it certainly is, Rob. And, and one of the things we find, for example, is, is that as firms get larger, uh, they tend to have less satisfaction with the culture. So uh, there's probably going to be some self-limiting things that happen with size. There are certainly the you know the well-known synergies that everybody's talking about in the diversification. What they don't uh, you know speak of as much is the is the dilution of the brand and the uh, degradation of the culture. You know, and I think those are, you know, those are the other side and you need to plan for them and uh, plan around it. Otherwise, you'll fall victim to it. One of the key themes in your report is strategy and this unpredictability in the marketplace. We used to be able to make two, three, five year plans and strategies because we could make predictions. But now we're in a VUCA world, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. You'll know that word very well, Lee, and our audience have come to learn that phrase worth Googling, actually. Talk to us a little bit about developing a strategy for uncertain times. I, I think there's a couple of things that are really key to that strategy. One is to be able to get the best data you can about what reality is and where things are going. And that usually comes from your clients about what they're thinking about and when they're anticipating. Um, that can't you know, obviously can't predict the unpredictable, but it can tell you a lot about the current and how the current needs are. And when something changes, the firm that has the greater flexibility and adaptability, so understanding where the future is going to be, but the flexibility and adaptability. Uh, and there are some specific things you can do. For example, you can shorten your planning cycle. Rather than only planning on a yearly basis, you can do your planning on a year, but then update it every quarter. So you just move your planning cycle shorter. You can try to shorten your uh, product innovation cycle. How long does it take to develop a product and uh, disseminate it throughout the firm? Uh, again, here is uh, there are things you can do. You can do specific training with people uh, about flexibility. Uh, you can build in support into your organization to help with uh, dealing with the, uh, uh, should I say, the stress of this uncertainty and rapid helping your people cope with that. So you start to list all these things. No one thing solves it at all, to be clear, but multiple things together gives you an advantage to be able to adapt more quickly and more completely with less downside. Research is a fundamental in this. It's the engine, I suppose, that drives intelligence, that drives insight. Hinge, obviously, are at the forefront of that. And you conduct research for professional firms for them to gauge what's happening in their marketplace. But the key finding here is professional firms that are growing well do regular deep research so they know how to navigate those muddy waters. It, it is. And, and if you think about the, the, for example, the kind of situation we were just talking about, about what happens when you merge with the firm, what's going to happen to the culture. Those are the kinds of things that you can look at with research and you can determine how their differences. You can anticipate the problem and you can make plans to cope with it. 
rather. And and Rob, this is another thing we found out in our research on culture that that is is kind of sobering. We found out that the top management, when they look and evaluate their culture, and then you compare it to how other people do it, it's very different. So the top management is living in a different culture than the rest of the firm is. So think about that for a moment. It, it's a, you know, how do you, and so if you don't understand what's going on, you're going to make moves that are going to really feel ham-handed. You're going to feel tone deaf because you're responding to the reality you think exists when in fact it's a different reality. That's such an excellent observation. I'm thinking, I've got an image in my head, Lee, of the, the strata of the rocks and the sediment and everything else, all the different layers. And if I'm sat there as a senior partner with a corner office in a plush uh, commercial district in, in my firm, and wondering why everyone else isn't coming into work, wanting yeah. to work from home, they don't have my office, they don't have my perspective. So you've got to see it from all quarters. Yeah, indeed you do. It, it certainly helps find a solution. We hear initiatives now, ESG, DEI, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, has been around for a while. It's morphed into ESG, Environmental Social Governance. How has this affected high growth firms over the last few years? It's uh, one of the interesting things we found out, Rob, is, is that uh, high growth firms are not really far ahead of their lower growing, uh, slower growing uh, peers when it comes to ESG. They're not adopting it dramatically faster or anything. As a matter of fact, about three quarters of the firms that we talk to, either they're really unfamiliar with ESG. What is it? There's about you know 20 percent that are kind of uncertain as to what the heck it is. Uh, to about half, a little over half the people just say, we don't have any plans to do anything about it. So the other a quarter of them, uh, about uh, 10% of overall firms have already made some changes to build an ESG practice to do something, about one in 10 firms. And about another 16% are, are thereabouts have plans to do something with it, but haven't, you know, they're in the process of doing it. So it's about a quarter of the firms that are moving in that direction. So that I, I think helps kind of put it in perspective about where we really are with this. That's what we're seeing here too, particularly in the accounting profession, that sector, they are set up as a trusted advisor and there is an acceptance that ESG will create lots of additional service opportunities for accountants, but it's not yet the burning platform which is forcing them to address it and develop capability in those areas. But you know what, Lee, the clients are starting to ask for it more and more. And when it's client driven, usually the argument is the accountants are very uh, unwilling or unable to change anything unless it's mandated by law. But if the clients come asking for it, then that's going to change the game, do you think? That's the law. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to pick up on a, a a sentence from your strategy here, which kind of encapsulates everything we've been talking about. It says the top three areas high growth firms want to learn more about is how to deepen online engagement, workflow and process automation and artificial intelligence. So that's online engagement, workflow and process automation and artificial intelligence. What's going on there? <laughs> well, the future is being formed is what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're peering into the future. This is what the firms that have the closest sync with their clients 
and are growing the fastest, they've found a niche, what they're looking at. And you can see, you look at each one of those things and they're to gain leverage, technology leverage, uh, to deal with a talent shortage, uh, you know, AI process automation. These are all things that help them cope with the realities of the world as it's coming to be. And I think that that, uh, you know, that is the winners and losers here. We're dividing sort of into two segments, those that are getting it and are following the flow of where the market is taking them. And those that are thinking that that, that was just a blip, it'll, it'll go back to normal. Uh, of course, we know that, uh, you know, there is no such thing as going back to normal. <laughs> I had a lovely analogy about it's like having a, a half time in a football game mm. and you come in, you get your halftime team talk and you go back out with presumably a new game plan to win the game. But the whole game has changed. The rule has changed. It's not like a turning your computer off and on and when you turn it back on, everything was how it was. It's mm -hmm. a whole new reboot with a whole new world. And you've called it in your report. We live in an age of uncertainty and the challenges of an uncertain marketplace is being, uh, shared by everybody in professional services. Let's wrap this up with a few key findings here. Research reduces risk and uncertainty. That's fact now, Lee, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It we is. We need insight and intelligence. Yeah, we do. Not just of our own processes, but of our, our, our audiences and our target market and the, our competitors, the trends that are going out there. Research gets us ahead of the game, sure. Mm -hmm. In, indeed. And if you talk to people who really, really understand their audience, they're the ones that are most likely to tell you, I'm not sure about my audience. They're the, they're the ones that are curious and have an open mind to it. It's uh, if someone starts out that I know my clients, I talk to them every day. That is the first sign that they're probably getting out of touch with their clients. Next conclusion, corporate culture looms large in the battle for talent. If you are not being competitive and differentiated with your culture, you're going to lose out. Exactly. And I, I think that's uh, people have much more flexibility when you take away the geography and you allow for remote work. It changes the game entirely. Uh, the pool of talent gets much, much larger. And the competition for that talent is much more along how do you build that engagement, that digital engagement uh, and of course, you know, it's people on the other end. So it's quite possible to do that. It's just you don't do it the way you used to. Do we have any insights from your report on what a good culture looks like and feels likely? Well, uh, we do have some insights, uh, although we've uh, we've been doing some other reports on culture. And basically what, what you're finding is that people want to be engaged with their culture. Uh, they want to be heard in their culture and they want to feel like they're supported. Uh, I think if you get those three needs covered, that they're engaged with it, uh, they're heard and they're supported, uh, that goes to most of the culture variations. And of course, there are variations. Some people want more of an accountability culture. Some people want more of a supportive culture. But uh, that just goes to individual personality level. A third conclusion, digital maturity is becoming a driver of growth and profitability. This is not a professional firm getting new computers and laptops and monitors. This is about getting the right strategy for digital and technology and, and getting further down that road of maturity with transformation. It, it is indeed. And it's something that it is very much a process. 
because with technology, as soon as you think you know it, uh, you're beginning to be out of date. So it's a continuous learning process. And it's, uh, I think we're going to see more and more uh, firms uh, recruiting for technology talent, as well as for accounting talent. Well, I had a, a story recently, Lee, where a big business had engaged a firm of software specialists that were certified in a particular accounting software to do 95% of their accounting work and didn't employ an accounting firm because this software company could do it all. So are we seeing the marginalization of some professionals if they don't stay relevant with not just doing the compliance, but doing that advisory stuff that adds value to the compliance? Indeed it is. And, and I think that that's really the thing that is changing is the profession is evolving to much more of a uh, consulting-based helping people deal with the technology and adapt to it, because that's really where the issues are, is technology can do more and more. It's the interface between organizations and their systems, uh, between uh, compliance and their systems that folks need to be able to do. And finally, on your findings, embrace marketing or fall behind. We've got to elevate the status of marketing and give it more respect and give good marketers a seat at the table to influence strategy that's the way forward and they can help in so many areas and and they are in some firms uh all the way from recruiting to retention and strategy development and product development and pricing all of these things are well within the capabilities Lee, this has been a wonderful conversation terrific research-based insights you've shared with us as always this full report we've glossed over some of the key highlights, but the full report is available and we'll put the website in our show notes. For people that don't know Hinge, tell us a little bit about the services that you offer. Well, Hinge uh, does strategy development, uh, branding, and marketing services exclusively for professional services. We base all our services on a research foundation, whether we're doing a piece of research or we just rely on the research to uh, drive what we do with our clients. So uh, it's uh, our focus is helping firms understand how to grow in all aspects that they need to cover. Would you leave us with a final message of hope and inspiration for the accounting leaders, professionals, uh, people in the trenches, the Fianas, the graduates, everyone across the board, that we are in an uncertain world, but there is hope and there are opportunities. What would you say as a party message to our listeners and viewers? I would say that there has never been a better time to be in accounting. Uh, the need for the services is continuing to grow. And if you can find your right niche uh, for something you love, you will have a very rewarding and productive career. And you can build very successful firms around that, solving a key client need. Lee Fredrickson of Hinge, thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Rob. listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.